You're listening to Bands and Botanicals, a unique podcast where trainer and trainee discuss fitness, herbalism, and healthy habits for life. We're your hosts. I'm Paula Kirsch, owner of Botanically Curious and Artisan Herbalist. And my name is Danielle Kreese, certified personal trainer and owner of DC Fit. Now, before we get started, if you could do us a brief favor and go to Apple Podcasts and just leave us a review, we'd love to hear from you. And with that being said, let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. Ooh, we have a special day today, but it's the day after a long weekend. How you doing, Paula? Good. Yeah. After that workout we just did, I can barely hold my drink in my face. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. We had a big arm day. Um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good after a long weekend, too. Surprisingly, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. Had some sun, had some rafting. And Shane, we have a, a guest today. Did you do anything for the uh, Memorial Day weekend? Uh few weird things. So uh, I found out I have a new sister-in-law over the weekend. Didn't know about this, but had that announced to me. Oh. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Hopefully that's an exciting surprise. It's exciting. <laughs> and it's a surprise. <laughs> and then uh, on Saturday night, some of our very, very best friends, um, everybody's had those friends are like the amazing house party, like dinner party people. Well, this these two friends of mine, Bill and Chris, uh, they finally had their first actual like dinner party at their house in the year post COVID. Mm. They're super excited about it. Although you go to like you know you go to like people's house parties and usually you buy like you know a decent bottle of wine or something to bring off there. You go to their house, you have to buy really good stuff because they are going to feed you and make you drink. <laughs> I drove there in my golf cart for a specific reason because I knew I was not going to be fit to drive a car to get back home. <laughs> so it was a golf cart ride. It was a golf cart ride. It's a golf. I mean, I hope. Hopefully, you say you stayed equally as safe in that golf cart. Though. Yes. So was it like within the neighborhood? Are you guys uh, neighbors? Close. Uh, we both live on the Rogue Valley Country Club, opposite ends of the golf uh, course. So you just cut through the golf course to get Ah, uh, ooh. <laughs> After a night of fun, that sounds like it could be its own adventure, cutting through the golf course at night. (laughs) We got time. There's extra stories. I'm sure. I'm sure we can. That could maybe be another episode. But one of the reasons we do have Shane on today that I wanted to touch on is that we are going into Men's Health Month. Mm -hmm. And Shane is a, has a spectrum of accomplishments and skills under his belt. So you're a financial advisor by day mm-hmm. and then recent owner, one of the owners of a new F45 gym here in Medford, which is a fantastic gym. So much fun, so much equipment, so many modalities for anyone looking for a gym to try out. You also mentor and coach young athletes and people who are trying to get more proficient at like Olympic lifting. Yep. And then in 2017, you won the world masters games is this correct with a 375 pound clean and jerk? Is that like the thing? I thought uh, I read that in an article. A little article. bit heavier than that. It's always weird when you read articles because everything in the Olympic weightlifting is in kilos. Ah. Uh, and then when you come back to America and the newspaper asks you, he's like, so how much do you lift? And you're like, 174 kilos. And they're like, what is that? I'm like, yeah, it's about 375. Okay. Because like in the weightlifting world for people, it's like, they only think in like 25 pound increments. It's like 350, 375. 
Then did you hit 400? No, I didn't make 400 there. So, so a little bit more than 375, though, which is literally mind blowing. I feel like yeah, I couldn't 381 and a half comprehend <laughs> moving that much weight. Um, your husband, a great husband, a great father of two boys. You're a former cheerleader. Yeah, it's one of those funny ones. You're a lifelong athlete. You do every sport on the sun. You're a cheerleader for nine months, and you are a cheerleader for life. <laughs> well, I've seen you just do. <laughs> Like when we used to work out at Orange Theory together, mm -hmm. I would see you throwing Chandra up into the sky, being her little or her big base. So I don't know. You put you no, put I that did. out there to the world. I, I also, too. No, I, uh, it's very impressive. With Nicole, we did hand in hand and did handstands on my shoulders and stuff like that. Oh my god! But no, it's the funny part because so I was obviously this is an audio podcast, but you can't tell I'm a pretty big person. I'm like six two, two hundred sixty pounds, but I was this size at like six years old. Like I was, you know, Godzilla as a little kid. So my parents made me take gymnastics as a little kid, just learn body co coordination and body movement. Because ah. um, otherwise I was going to be that really big, gangly kid because I was growing so fast. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always been able to do like backflips and stuff like that. And uh, then you date a girl for, you know, one year. She's a cheerleader at U of O. And she's like, wait, you're 6'2", 260, and you know how to do backflips? I'm like, yeah, I can do those. She's like, you're coming with me. And she pulled me into it. And as fate would have it, it was the most fun I've ever had. I wish I would have done it all four years of college. Um, Damn, college too. Yeah. I thought it was like just like a high school thing. No, no, it was my senior year of college. I mean, I've never done it before in my life. <laughs> I literally did it for nine months. But it's that hard part because, you know, I'm pretty darn coordinated and I'm very strong. So the girls find out because obviously the biggest prerequisite for being a female cheerleader is being relatively small, good body coordination, some gymnastics upbringing is great. Uh, but the size is the biggest thing because, I mean, unfortunately, it's a sport that your body weight matters a lot because mm -hmm. somebody's holding you up at all times. And uh, but on the flip side, guys that are my size get pulled into playing football typically. And that's what I grew up playing was football. Mm. Um, but after a shoulder surgery and some rehab and stuff like that, football was off the table. Uh, but I was healed up to the point and she's like, you got to try this. But now it's been fun because in later life, everybody sees me. They immediately go, oh, you were a football player, weren't you? I'm like, no, my name's Shane. I was the cheerleader in college. <laughs> and immediately everybody remembers that. Like that'll stand out in everybody's mind when you say you were a cheerleader. Did he say football? I'm like, yeah, you're 6'2", 260. Of course you played football. But yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of like that kind of plays into what we're talking about today, because there's a lot of like breaking barriers, I think, with that or breaking perceptions of what you think a certain person mm -hmm. should do or, you know, act, especially in regards to being a man or a woman or regards to being like stronger or leaner or whatever the case is. And, you know, I know that you are very proficient with your workout skills and we will talk about that a little bit. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about or we wanted to talk a little bit about the mental health, um, especially coming from the perspective as a man, Paula and I usually talk from uh, the female yeah, point of view, and that's just what we know. But in the small conversations we've had, I know that there's a lot that goes into also the male psyche and kind of the upbringing and the pressures that come with everything that isn't largely talked about. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, we wanted to tap into that a little bit. Yeah. So you're the winner of the world masters games. So what mm -hmm. exactly for those, especially our listeners that might not know, what is that? Like, how do you prep for that? How did you even get into that? You said you started a little bit with gymnastics as a kid, mm -hmm. 
but what brought you to that point? So what got me into weightlifting and so the word weightlifting is actually a sport. Most people don't realize that they think weightlifting means just lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Weightlifting is the sport which involves the snatch and the clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. It's two separate lifts. You get three attempts at them and the weight on the bar can only go up. So if you make your lifts, you get to try heavier attempts. If you miss them, you're going to reattempt them, but you never go back down. Um, so I was first, I was never exposed to actual weightlifting as a kid because um, I'm 43 years old. So when I was a kid growing up, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding, you know, iron pumping was kind of like, that was what people did at the gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot more like, you know, buys and tries and split days and a lot of looking at yourself in the mirror on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I grew up with, like as a background for, you know, actual exercise. Then, uh, so what, what got me into weightlifting is kind of a weird roundabout story. Uh, I have two ruptured discs in my back. Uh, so I have really L4, L5, L5, S1, um, full ruptures. We thought I was gonna get back surgery and fuse my back up back when I was 22 years old. Um, Cause I actually heard it at the end of my senior year of college and ruptured those two discs. Um, because of that, you know, I was, again, I was, they were planning on doing surgery. I was in uh, the pain clinic in Ashland and they were getting ready to prepare me for surgery. But through rehab, I lost a lot of weight and I got in shape and I got physically active again. Um, so I knew there was this big correlation between like getting strong and getting in shape and making my back pain go away. Then fast forward another like seven or eight years, real life happened. I'm now in my like mid to late 20s. I put on a lot of weight. I wasn't active. I wasn't healthy at all. And I hurt my back again. Um, and it was just mainly just because I was just, I was just out of shape and, uh, to get back into shape, I started doing CrossFit. Um, so in doing CrossFit, I was then introduced to the Olympic lifts, um, cause CrossFit does literally anything and everything they can possibly think of. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, but one of the core staples of that is both powerlifting movements and Olympic lifting movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously because of my size, I'm pretty coordinated. Uh, the Olympic lifts really, I knew that's where I was going to be better at it. I mean, I'm never going to be wonderful at doing like a hundred burpees for time. Uh, I'm just not a little small, low to the ground type person. Mm-hmm. Danielle, other times you bounce up and off the ground. You probably <laughs> enjoy stuff like that. I do. I enjoy that more than I enjoy lifting heavy personally. Yeah. yeah. And I was always like, Hey, if I can do a snatch or a clean jerk, you know, they're quick explosive movements. You know, I've always been strong, but I'm actually better at explosive strength. That's always where I've excelled. Um, so these like just went right into my wheelhouse. Uh, fell in love with them, figured out that this was like a better spot for me, uh, you know, to focus my skills at. And there's a tremendous amount of like coordination and core stability because they're dynamic movements. There's no, you're not like on a bench press where you're laying against the ground bench, mm-hmm. supporting yourself. I mean, you have to have strong abs turned on at all times. You're engaging every muscle in your body on every attempt because you're stabilizing weights much heavier than yourself and you're holding them overhead mm-hmm. and you got to stabilize them when you're in the bottom of the squat too. So, I mean, there's a whole range of motion you got to be stabilizing that through. Um, so I fell in love with them. It made a lot of sense. And, uh, but then I got into a, a, a major accident, which we can go into later if we want to. And uh, when I was rehabbing from that, 
one of my friends told me, he's like, Shane, you obviously have no idea what the future is going to hold if you're ever going to be able to do this down the road. And we never thought this other accident would ever happen. You need to give us a real go and try to compete. Uh, so I did. So I went to uh, two worlds. The first one was in 2015. Uh, I finished fourth. And I had enough weight on the bar that had I made my last attempt, I would have jumped from fourth to first. But I missed it. So I always had this like lingering frustration of I was one spot off the podium. I didn't medal, but I was so, so, so close. And coming back from a major accident. Yeah. So then the very next year, I couldn't go to Worlds uh, because my son was being born. And, uh, you know, my wife frowned on the idea of leaving her like eight and a half months pregnant <laughs> while I traveled internationally. Huh. Uh, so we didn't do it that year. Thanks of you <laughs> <laughs> for listening to Heather. Well, she's a boss. Uh, and But the following year, it was really cool because what's called the World Masters Games, which little small thing, people don't realize this, it's actually the largest uh, sporting event in the world. Hmm. Um, it follows the Olympic cycle. It's all the same sports that are in the Summer Olympics, except for it's all masters and they're broken by five-year age groups from like 35 to 39, then 40 to 44, all the way up into your 80s. Wow. Oh, wow. So you end up with like 30,000 athletes at the Masters Games. So it was in Auckland, New Zealand, and it like everybody in Auckland, it felt like, was somebody competing. Like it took over the entire city of Auckland, and it was really, really, really cool. And then obviously that's where it was a fun meet. Uh, I ended up winning, but just like at a – the, the previous worlds I was at, which was in Copenhagen, uh, my last attempt, had I missed that attempt, I would have dropped down to third place. And if I made the attempt, I would win the whole thing. Um, so it was really a very like climactic moment to like put enough, weight, put enough weight on the bar that if I make this, I win and then go out there and get it done. That's nice. That's so dope. That's such a, that must have been such an exciting, like I couldn't even imagine that feeling once you realized you were able to hold that weight and then you just, you got it, you clinched it, especially coming back from everything that you came back from. And I know that like, for, again, from the little conversations we've had, this has been kind of an evolution for you, getting um, not just healthy physically, but also healthy mentally, like with yourself and with your body and with what you're capable of. So would you mind kind of walking through maybe some moments that you struggled with that, that most men that we just don't always have conversations about, because obviously there's a pressure to kind of be like suffer in silence as a man, or just be like that strong alpha male that doesn't, you know, worry about, you know, let's say body composition uh, issues or body dysmorphia or things that we often associate with women. Do you remember times that you struggled growing up that kind of led you to be you know, that last, that moment at Masters where you felt like you were strong, you were comfortable with yourself, you were confident with yourself and kind of like just some of those moments. I wouldn't say I've ever been comfortable with myself. Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'll ever get there. Uh, so guys don't talk about it as much, but I think guys suffer from body dysmorphia just as much as women do. They just don't talk about it as much. Um, as a kid growing up, part of being big as a little kid also meant like I was a fat kid most of the time. And my parents, I grew up with my parents 
threatening to send me to fat camp. I don't know if that was a real thing or not, but I was told about it all the time. I didn't know if that was a real thing or not either. In places, yeah. Yeah, I just saw it in the movies. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely places like that that I've heard on different occasions of people going. Mm-hmm. And, but that's always, so my grandparents' nickname for me was Little Butterball. <laughs> and my mother specifically would always threaten to send me to fat camp if I didn't lose weight. And those like mental images stuck with me. And like they, I, I will probably never shake them loose. I have never once in my life, even when I was relatively jacked, had a six pack, and was probably a few times in my life I've been single digit body fat. Um, in the mirror, I always see a fat 12 year old kid. I mean, I, I will never get that out of my head. I don't think I ever will. Um, but on the same token, there's parts of me that also don't really ever want to either because my whole life I've used that as like motivation to keep pushing myself mm-hmm. when things are hard. So it's like this weird catch 22 where, yeah, some things suck, but they also kind of made me who I am. And I like who I am. So maybe, you know, it's not the worst thing. Just wish it was done a little bit differently or maybe I had better coping skills. Um, but it also goes back, I mean, again, back to my age, 43 years old. When I was a kid growing up, diet nutrition was not really a thing. Like eating a cinnamon roll for breakfast was considered a healthy breakfast. Like that mm-hmm. was just normal. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, every kitchen table in America had sugar on it. Mm-hmm. We added yeah, sugar we talked about that to everything. So much. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, you know, specifically like all of like the kids in my peer group, we would talk about how like, you know, eating cereal was great, especially because that last bit of milk, you got that sugar sludge in the bottom. You <laughs> yeah. stir it up. So you get that last like 30 grams of sugar right there in your last sips. So you're not wired to go to the bus stop. <laughs> like that was, that was normal. Support teachers. Yeah. Well, it was terrible. Support teachers. And, uh, and yeah, and again, because I grew so fast at an early age, uh, nutrition was a weird thing because as little kids, now that I have two little boys, I'm experiencing it right now for myself, they go through growing spurts and they just eat like absolute weeds for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I grew so much at such a young age, I developed this like eating habit where it's just, I eat everything at all times. Well, so my growth spurts were really weird in that I did all of my growing like first through third grade, stopped, and then didn't grow again until my freshman year of college. But I had these like eating habits and nutrition habits that I developed while I was just eating everything in sight. And the same token, like through that period of time, you know, I was, you know, a top nationally ranked wrestler the whole time as a little kid. I was a super competitive athlete. Which also probably played into some of these struggles, right? As a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just remember seeing- I've always been a weight-based sports. Yeah. Like every yeah. sport I've ever done has, well, most of the sports, most of the sports I've excelled at have been weight-based. So making weight and getting on scales is part of like literally my entire life. I've always had to measure myself and like go to bed hungry and not eat that day if I knew I had to weigh in and make weight the next morning. Yeah, I feel like that in and of itself, just having to always step on a scale would be like a trigger or something that could like lead to having these preoccupations with what the scale says or what you're seeing in the mirror. I mean, I remember I used to see my high school friends, you know, and in Miami of all places too, like 
jogging with garbage bags mm -hmm. on over their sweatpants because they were trying to lose as much weight as possible. And even if it was water weight to make their ring. So I, I feel like that would be, I, I don't even keep a scale anywhere near me. So I couldn't imagine growing up always having to step on a scale and then being like scrutinized, like and judged it, for it. And it's weird because we didn't know back then the difference between healthy weight gain, healthy weight loss, or water weight gain or water weight loss. Mm -hmm. We just knew I have to manipulate because I need a certain number on that scale tomorrow at 10 a.m. when I weigh in. Otherwise, I can't compete. And like, I mean, back then, little kids, you know, it was not unusual to have a coach tell me, you know, you need to lose 12 pounds in the next four days. Go. And like that was, okay, you got to go down one weight class. This next meet we're going to, we're going to have Billy. He's going to wrestle in your weight class. We want you to cut down to the next weight class down because that's going to get us these gold medals through here and we will win as a team meet. Mm. So like you were always to be a team player. It was just like, okay, you just lose the weight. And it's always water manipulation. I mean, you're not, you're never learning about, you know, how to actually like diet, nutrition. There's no like, you know, okay, let's take the next six months to slowly lose about a pound to a pound and a half a week mm -hmm. over like a long period of time and actually like recomposition your body and actually get lean. It was, you know, carb up before competitions and then manipulate your water weight and drop as much as you can right beforehand. And especially me, I don't even know what it does. I haven't read enough studies on it, but like with kids, especially like prepubescent going through puberty and you're like starving and then overfeeding mm -hmm. and like, and then it's like where like, you know, so I never had a true eating disorder. I was never anorexic or bulimic. Um, I definitely had some binge eating tendencies, but it was usually not so much a binge eat. It was more like a refeed after a starvation to make weight, but it gets you in those cycles where like, this is normal. This isn't a big deal. And, all my friends were wrestlers, so they're all doing it too. This is what we all do. So this is just normal life. And uh, yeah, it definitely changes your perception on a lot of those things. So as a parent now, especially with boys, do you see, you know, some of that maybe coming back? Do you see that being able to maybe navigate things differently for your sons and if they get into sports or especially now, you know, you didn't have social media. Social media is a big portion of mm. looks, everything, mm -hmm. you know, and there's as for men and women now. So are there things that you think about and techniques techniques that you might use, even just eating styles? Cause when I was a kid, it was like clean your plate, but don't be a fat ass. Like eat everything on your plate that you're given. Mm -hmm. But you know, so there's these contradicting things we've always been told. So it's really interesting, you know, especially as a parent now. But. Yeah, it's like that whole thing, like the parenting thing, it's it's really tough because yes, the social media one is like a nuclear bomb. How do we uninvent this? Because I think Seriously. it's developed more. I mean, there's there is wonderful things about it, but boy, do the bad things come out and become very very obvious very very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like the whole thing. I mean, I've talked to like young kids that are in high school right now, and we talk about it how like nowadays, you know, when I went to school. You know, if you were getting bullied, yeah, that might happen between 8.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. But once school's out, you can go home and get away from it. And mm -hmm. because of social media, bullying's 24 hours a day now because, right. you know, you always get posted and tagged and stuff. And, yeah, so it's 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 made me rethink of everything with my, with my boys and 
I think that's what every parent will always do is, you know, you'll look at like the lessons you learned that were really good from your parents. You look at the things that you wish would have been done differently and you try to like course correct. And, you know, I'm positive. I will screw up lots and lots of stuff with my boys, but nutrition is one of the ones that I'm not real worried about because, you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, over my course of my athletic and life, learning and understanding nutrition and understanding what the body needs and how to fuel it and what you need to be doing. And, you know, I explain to my boys right now, you know, all things in moderation, you know, we do. And they're pretty a, young. So you're starting two and five. Two, yeah. Really like, young. Great yeah. five-year-old. We'll talk about nutrition and what foods are nutritious and what foods are treats and understanding the difference that, you know, this food cannot be the basis of your diet. We need to mix some healthy food in there also. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not eating your healthy foods, you don't get, you know, treats. It's just it's this whole tricky balancing act where I don't want to like, I don't want to create a carrot and stick type atmosphere for them, mm -hmm. but trying to help him understand like better choices and what are, what are the good things to nourish his body. And especially it's also very easy at the age they are right now because they're growing. So you literally throw the kitchen sink at them and they'll just continue to, metabolize through it all right now yeah mm -hmm. um, but with sports it's really tricky too because the one i'm facing right now a lot is do i let my boys play football with all the cte and the, the brain scans mm -hmm. and everything going on right now i mean so one of those things where like i regretted growing up my mother steered me away from playing football once i got to about high school mm -hmm. um, she was terrified of me getting hurt and getting injured no not from brain injuries but just injured in general mm -hmm. and uh she did all those little like parental like manipulative techniques to like steer me away from wanting to play that and get me into other fall sports so i wouldn't be drawn to football as much but i always regretted it because i was really good at football and when i went to university of oregon you know the coaches were going to have me walk on because physically i was big strong fast you know super coordinated had all the right you know skill set for it but I didn't have the background. I didn't, you know, didn't have a high school ro role of film to go look at. Um, so I was always kind of resentful towards my mom for doing that. But then fast forward 20 years after that, I started reading about CTE. I was a linebacker. I hit hard. That's what I did. And I'm like, oh, I might have it right now had I been doing that. And with my boys, who football in a collegiate life is a very short period of time in your life. And, uh, your one brain is the one you get your entire life. You got to keep that thing, uh, you know, pretty well intact. Yeah. I kind of have a similar question to Paula, but more in the realm of like your wrestling and how you feel about that with your boys. Because I know that you told me that you had a teacher. You, you said that I'm the exact opposite type of trainer yes. to your wrestling coach. If I'm like self-love and blah, 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 he was all like very strict, right? And kind of a... Very negative reinforcement not, not even, i mean so like how would how do you how would you navigate that with them you know are there have has wrestling changed to where it is a mm -hmm. little bit more um well-rounded and in, in health and in kind of the mental aspect of everything as well you are not allowed to beat children with bamboo sticks the way you used to be able to <laughs> that's good so <laughs> at least not in the united states true because <laughs> i mean i'm sure I taught in, North, in asia and i know that in north korea it's probably still, still uh I mean, even in South Korea, in schools, like teachers, not the foreign teachers, but you're allowed to pull a little ruler out. Oh, no, I used to get my knuckles hit all the time with rulers. Well, yardsticks. They usually use a yardstick. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, well, actually, it was my high school wrestling coach. 
uh, we'd still do push-ups in class all the time. If you, you know, talked up or something, it was just, you know, let's drop and give me 20. He was the next, you know, Marine drill sergeant. Mm -hmm. At least it's how he, um, and that's reason a little bit tricky because like making you do push-ups, I kind of could see actually a benefit to that. You know, kids need activity and whatnot. Release the energy. Us, beating mm -hmm. us with sticks, that's probably, uh, it's going to be hard pressed to find where that's okay nowadays. Yeah. So um, good. That's changed. That's yeah. good. But even the, the, <laughs> the way that, um, your wrestling coach would speak to you, even if it wasn't like physical punishment, has no, that I, changed at all? I respond to negative reinforcement because I grew up in that environment. Mm -hmm. So like being yelled at, screamed at, having spit flex hit you in the eyes is there yelling at you. <laughs> Militant like, style. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. And like, but that's what I was grew up with. That's what I was raised with. I can't do that myself because I'm just not a screaming, yelling, get your face type person. Um, but when you grew up in that system for a very, very long time and started, I started wrestling at five years old. So like literally my gray's age right now. Mm -hmm. And when you've been in that system and you developed and grew in that, you don't know any different. I mean, it's kind of like that whole like, you know, brainwashing sort of thing that this is just normal. Mm -hmm. And I was very good at it. It was effective. I mean, we can all talk about like, you know, the negative mental ramifications of doing that for a prolonged period of time. But as a means to an end of getting high end results out of people, that same coach turned out me, who was a very, very good wrestler, nationally ranked. One of my wrestling teammates is arguably one of the best wrestlers in the history of the world. So like the results that it generated speak for themselves, mm -hmm. you know, multiple time Olympian like level talent, uh, but you can't do that anymore. And you're, and, I, and it's good that you can't do it anymore because also part of that old mindset was if we break them, they weren't meant for this sport anyhow. So right. no coach took personal accountability towards like breaking athletes and the ones that fall on the wayside and you never see them again. Mm. You know, we, we always hear about the success stories, you know, but you don't know about like, did you crush like, a hundred souls <laughs> to get that one champion to come out of there. Yeah. And at what point is that ratio just not mean, well, look at little girls in gymnastics right now. That is still well in line in gymnastics. Oh yeah. You know, we still hear about stories about all that. So given some of the things that you were mentioning and kind of your upbringing and with sports and everything, have you formed any tools to kind of combat negative talk, self doubt, any of those things as you've gotten older? Well, it's weird because self-doubt, uh, I mean, it's it, it, coping is the right term because I don't think it ever actually goes away. Uh, it's always going to have some level of element there. Um, I think what it really, as far as a tool goes, it's more looking at what actually motivates me. Like, where do I actually draw my motivation from? And, and right now, that's super, super easy because my motivation primarily comes from wanting to be a good influence and a good father figure for my boys. Um, so literally when I was in Auckland, New Zealand, before I was going to take that last attempt, knowing that if I made it, I would win the competition. The thought going through my mind the whole time was, if you make this, your son's going to be able to say his daddy is a world champion. Mm -hmm. And like, that was the entire motivation behind it. So right. trying to be a good role model for them, trying to like give them a good example of like, you know, what it means to not just be, you know, a strong, independent person, but to be a caring, good person too. You know, that's why I always kind of come back to is how do I be a better person, a better role model and power through things so I can be the right 
dad and, you know, father figure to them. Nice. Well, on that same kind of note, you know, it's got me thinking you're a financial advisor kind of by day, but then you started a gym in Southern Oregon during COVID, which I Great mean, timing, right? <laughs> yeah. In terms of financially advising anything, I don't think that would be the one thing some people would say start a business like brick and mortar during COVID a lot of the time. So what was the thought behind that? And, you know, what was your motivation there? Well, yeah, throw in there also. I uh, started a drive through coffee stand in Southern Oregon. We've never heard of those in Southern Oregon, mm. which I'm joking if your listeners aren't from Southern Oregon. <laughs> we have more drive through coffee stands in Southern Oregon than anywhere else on the planet. It was the one thing Jeff and I noticed when we were traveling around the country. We, were, we just kept seeing the little Dutch bro houses and we were like, what? What is mm. going on in this state? Yeah. So, yeah, in Eagle Point, uh, we opened up their other business is uh, Heather Runs, and we uh, opened up a black rock coffee shop out there mm, okay. um literally a half mile down the road from the busiest dutch brothers stand in all of southern oregon mm -hmm. so we're just like yeah let's just do that but no the gym where does make lots of <laughs> well where we see the right opportunity we yeah. do not let fear or doubt get in our mind when it comes to business that's where i have little to no like self-doubt mm -hmm. i mean i I, mm. I know numbers i know what makes sense um Heather and I joke around that for whatever reason, my stuff always works for some reason, mm -hmm. but it's because of a long process goes into that. I mean, I take my entire job is about taking calculated risks. So, you know, when I see the opportunity, you know, if it, if it pencils out and I can calculate out that, you know, the amount of risk and the capital I'm going to put towards it, I'm willing to sacrifice, but I think the odds of it being successful are much better. You know, I will do it in the gym. Uh, I, I, I viewed it as almost a no-brainer because Southern Oregon, so a few things about Southern Oregon, especially on the Medford side, I shouldn't say Southern Oregon general because there's obviously a lot of different, you know, areas that have different mindsets, but Medford specifically, Medford loves bright, shiny, new franchises, mm -hmm. whether it's restaurants going in. I mean, I've always laughed and, and uh, one of my business partners, we talked about it was, you know, you could have like, a just a five-star Michelin chef, the most amazing locally owned all farm to table food, like hit every one of those like hot button, like, mm -hmm. you know, words that everybody loves. And if it opened up in Medford and Chili's came in next door, <laughs> Chili's would crush them. They go out of business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chick-fil-A, when Chick-fil-A yeah. came in, the, lines would be hours long it, the chick-fil-a lines are still like an hour long. it's insane when chipotle showed up in town exact same thing <laughs> and but it's also because the medford community has always been a little bit resentful that like the big big franchise type stuff always we were a flyover city we they never stopped here because mm. um, i'm old enough to remember when the rogue valley mall came to southern oregon like that was like we have arrived. This is the biggest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And now it's wow. like, no, literally, like, literally, that was like when the Rogue Valley Mall first opens its doors, it was like, oh my gosh, we are somebody now. This yeah. is a, which is so funny because, like, I don't think I've physically been in the Rogue Valley Mall in a decade. That mall makes me feel sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> like, it is not great. Just driving by mall. it, I feel kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, so that with the, the gym, um it's f45 member south go check us out but uh check them out 
it was a really good program. And from all my different like fitness things I've ever done in my past, from the CrossFit background, uh, how Danielle and I met through Orange Theory, you know, I saw like this need for an exercise place where you can get in and get out and not spend all day just hanging out there like you would at a big box gym. And things that are really focused on burning calories, losing weight. Uh, you know, I looked at some of the strengths and the best things I saw in CrossFit and in Orange Theory. And then I looked at some of the things that I didn't like. I thought they had mistakes that were areas where, you know, injury prone things would happen or the workouts might get a little bit boring and monotonous over time. And, you know, been going through all that. And I looked at the F45 model and it seemed like it was the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I looked at it and said, I think this is going to be a winner. I think Slender is going to really, really like this. Um, and with COVID going on, everybody's got that extra COVID-15. Everybody knows we need to get active. People want to be social. They, I mean, I always laugh about it because as a financial advisor, uh, one of the best stocks of 2020 was Peloton mm -hmm. um, because everybody was buying at-home workout equipment. It was, mm -hmm. They were selling like crazy. And as a financial advisor, I've actually now gone short Peloton and I'm betting against the company. I'm actually betting right now that the company fails. Everybody's selling their bikes. Well, yeah. you're going to see it. I mean, we've been through this cycle so many times. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many treadmills and Schwinn bikes do you see in mm -hmm. garage sales? Right. Mm -hmm. And people enjoy interaction and authentic interactions with real people, especially if they're like-minded and similar goals. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm a garage gym. Like all my weightlifting, I do it in my garage most of the time by myself. Mm -hmm. So I totally get the workout home alone and it's a grind. It is very, very difficult to find that motivation. I mean, mm -hmm. if you had one too many glasses, <laughs> You're like the only one I know. I know. <laughs> well, no. So, so I do like it, and I actually prefer it because I like to get my work in. But when you work out at home alone, a it becomes very easy for a one-hour workout to turn into a two-hour workout because you're just not moving real fast through everything. And then it's also like if you had one too many glasses of wine the night before, you're not quite feeling a hundred percent you can kind of let yourself half-ass a little bit. You don't even think you're doing it. It's almost subconscious, but you know, water breaks start taking a little bit longer all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And you know, for me, you know, Oh, look, the boys want to play. Okay. I'm going to go play with the boys now for a little while. Um, and fitness with friends is more fun. Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why we're doing these events that we started doing. Um, and we're going to have the next one this weekend. And so we're sitting here enjoying these mocktails, which is something we'll be doing for everybody after the workout. So we'll get to sit, work out, socialize, do all everything and, you know, in a really great outdoor environment. And that's what people want right now. Yeah. It's nice to be able to connect, connect again. Like, mocktail is awesome. It is really refreshing. Isn't it? Yeah. It is yeah. so refreshing. Um, so I, I know that we talked a little bit about like, uh, mental health struggles and things like that. I did want to tap into a little bit about your skill set, though, because we have talked about it here and there. But as you've gotten older, how has fitness and recovery changed for you? Because you've talked about injuries that you've sustained. I know right now you still have some shoulder issues maybe that you have going on. And as you know, just like everything else, we need to evolve. We need to adapt with the way that our body changes as it gets older and you know 
trains more, trains harder. So what are some things that you've learned or you've observed in that evolution for yourself? And, and how are ways that you support your body uh, so that you can continue to move this hard, you know, for a long time? Well, I think the hardest part is you have to actually learn how your body works and understand, like, understand the difference between injuries and being sore mm -hmm. and understand when you can step on the gas and when you got to tap on the brakes. And as a competitive athlete, that gets really, really hard because a competitive athlete, I have goals. The goals are winning. So that is a little bit tricky too. Because a lot of my sporting, you know, for me, health and fitness goes right into sport. They go hand in hand together. And when it gets to the sports side, it's about winning. It's not about health. And that's the thing, the thing a lot of people kind of mess up is like competitive bodybuilders, competitive weightlifters, competitive athletes are not healthy. You should never look at competitive athletes as your picture of health because mm -hmm. they are playing a sport or competing in something. And inherently, once things get very, very competitive, they aren't healthy anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. my whole sport is based on breaking down muscle tissue so it'll grow back bigger and stronger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I enjoy doing it. And you can do Olympic-style weightlifting for healthy goals, but not if you're trying to be competitive at it. Um, once you try to jump from health and fitness to competitive sport, you know, there something changes. So I'll go through phases where – so I just had a meet two weeks ago, and now I know I have to pull myself out of the weightlifting world to let my body recover. So after competition, I will always take a week to 10 days off just to let my body, I mean, a week, no matter what, up to two weeks if I kind of tweak something there. Mm. Um, in competitive lifting, you know, a little bit of a sore knee, a sore rotator cuff, stuff like that. It's very common if the weight gets unstable because where if you're training, you just drop and stop, you only get three attempts. So it might be less than perfect, but you got to get it overhead. You got to finish the lift. Otherwise, you can't move on. Um, so it's understanding your body, knowing the difference between something that's injured versus I'm just sore. Mm -hmm. And if I'm just sore, I'm going to train right through it and not think twice. If I'm actually injured, is this the type of injury that I can train around for a while? Or is this the type of injury that I need to stop, see some type of like, you know, rehab specialist? You know, do I need to see a physical therapist right now? Do I need to see a chiropractor? I mean, I've, I've done everything from contrast bath is like wonderful. Anyone who hasn't taken ice baths should start doing it because they're just great. Ugh, I cold cannot do it. Cold shock proteins being released in your system is one of the best ways for recovery. Oh, but it's just so cold. Yes. I know, I know it is. She's still wearing a sweater right now, and it's 100 and something degrees outside. Yeah, I think I'm like I, already trying to perspire a little bit right now. <laughs> I, I thought I turned the air down. Sorry. You cannot take the Miami out of her, can you? No, no. Okay, cold baths. I know. So I know cold that baths. So great. Uh, way more stretching than people think you need to do. Mm -hmm. You have to. And when they also screw up, most people stretch as a way to loosen up to get ready to work out which is almost pointless. Stretching a cold muscle, very minimal benefit to stretching a cold muscle. You're far better off to hop on an exercise bike, a rower, mm -hmm. something like that. Get your heart rate up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Stretch out whatever muscle groups you're going to then use for that workout. But you don't really need to stretch all that much before you work out. It's more about actually 
just getting the muscles with some blood pump through them. Activating them, yeah. And then stretch out a lot more than you think after the workouts. Stretching out after your workouts. I mean, if I'm in like a prep cycle for a big weightlifting meet, I will stretch out for upwards of 30 to 45 minutes after every training session. I might spend as much time stretching afterwards as I did in the actual workout because being able to function and train the next day is so vital. I can't risk having sore days, mm-hmm. um, especially when I'm always mean discs don't unrupture my back. And that's obviously the weak point of my anatomy when it comes to injury. So if I let my glutes and my hamstrings, you know, my patellar tendons have been sore. I've had patellar tendonitis. So, you know, if my IT bands get too stiff. Mm-hmm. And so many times you finish a big grueling workout and all people want to do is like crash on the couch, turn on Netflix and like just veg out for a while. That's like the worst thing you can do. You have to like stretch, stretch out, active recovery, go for a little walk. Mm-hmm. You know, I will do a stretch for 10 minutes, hop on the aerodyne for five minutes, just nice and gentle pace, go back to stretching for 10 more minutes, back and forth a lot. Um, and then the other, the two big, actually even more important than stretching, and it's the literally the two most obvious things in the world, but we always, most people neglect when I'm training for a big competition, I literally will turn on my sleep app to make sure I'm getting eight hours of sleep minimum every night. Mm-hmm. There is nothing more valuable to recovery than sleep. Like literally, muscle gets rebuilt when you're asleep. Doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't rebuild when you're working out. A lot of people, it's one of those things people don't understand. This goes like the whole journey of this. People think lifting weights makes you strong. No, no, no. Lifting weights tears up muscle fiber. When you're asleep, it rebuilds itself. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting enough sleep, you are wasting your time in the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, I have athletes that come to me like, Shane, I want to start doing double days. And I'm like, okay, uh, what are you doing for your recovery to support doing double days? Well, you know, with my job and everything, you know, I'm a four to five hour night sleep guy. Like, great. You're going to start working out three days a week. You don't get any more than that because you're not giving yourself, your body enough time to recover. So basically, you're going to be in a decaying state at all times. Mm. And if I let you do double days, you're just going to decay yourself faster. Until you can get your sleep schedule up to at least seven hours of sleep, we're not going to talk about working out that much. And then the other one is hydration. People chronically do not drink enough water. I mean, it's so weird to me. Uh, I love drinking water. I am a gulper. I drink water 32 ounces at a time. You know, me drinking two gallons a day is no big deal. Like that's my baseline. But Heather, my wife, drinking like 32 ounces a day of water is a challenge for her. And part of it is just a bad habit she's developed over time because she's been in the coffee industry for so long. Mm-hmm. You don't drink water because you don't have time to go to take bathroom breaks. Mm-hmm. So you literally yeah, and some of the small shops she was didn't telling have, didn't have bathrooms. Didn't have bathrooms yeah. yeah. You'd have to drive across the street or go down the road to use a restroom. Yeah. So not ideal. <laughs> you just didn't drink liquids while you were on ship. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I couldn't imagine that because again, I, I will always err on the side of overhydrating myself rather than underhydrating myself because it's, it's so vital to everything we do. Well, in the health and wellness kind of industry and a lot of things we talk about, we've had athletes and performers on the show that talk about adaptogens and kind of herbal remedies and things that they do for recovery. Do you incorporate adaptogens or herbs or anything else besides what you're doing? So this is where it's tricky. And this is where, you know, I will go around with people on this, but I am a 
science-based person who really looks at, unless there has been an actual control group study on it, because at one point in time in my life, I was Mr. GNC. I took every supplement, herbal or super not herbal, depending on what it was. And my own personal belief, I don't find value in hardly any of them. Um, some might have more benefits and I'm always open to reading new literature as it becomes available. And as anyone who has a scientific base to them, you're never like locked into any ideology as new information comes available. You should be adapting and growing with what new information there is. Um, but I just haven't found anything. So whenever it comes to supplements, this is like across the board, herbal or not, if you're not committed to taking it the rest of your life, whatever gains or improvements you get from a benefit from it are going to go away once you stop taking it. So is whatever you're taking something that you're willing to commit to for the rest of your life? Um, And most of the time, the answer for me on that is no, because stuff's all expensive. I mean, it gets really, really expensive to be buying a lot of different like supplements, you know, herbal or not. Um, The only supplements that I ever take is I take a multivitamin every morning. Um, and they're more expensive multivitamin. Like I take like four of them because they're all plant-based, you know, organic plant-based, you know, they're green pills. If you like drop one in water for 10 minutes, you'd end up with like a green smoothie at mm-hmm. the end of it. Cause it just breaks it back down. Um, I like those better because they digest in your system. You're not like a centrum or a, any of those other multivitamins you take and you end up like pooping half of it back out because your body came and digest it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, if I am gearing up for a big weightlifting competition, um, I will take creatine. Um, it's one of the very, very few supplements that actually is proven to have a muscular improvement. You will get stronger from taking it. Um, and there's no known side effects to it right now. Um, so I'm not worried about taking that. Um, and the only other thing I'll take is I will add protein powder if my diet isn't getting enough protein at that time. Um, when I'm training, uh, if I'm actually trying to build muscle, I need to consume about between 270 and 300 grams of protein a day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever tracked macros before, 300 grams of protein a day is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like 10 chicken breasts every day. Um, so sometimes those can get tricky to hit those numbers. Um, so I'll do things like I'll add like a, you know, like grass fed collagen powder to my coffee in the morning to get an extra 30 grams of protein in first thing in the morning. And then I might take like, you know, casein protein right before I go to bed, just so I have some extra protein and branch chain amino acids for that sleep time to help aid in rebuilding muscle overnight. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely interesting. If anybody's uh, listening, has ever watched the documentary uh, Sicko, the one where he goes into detail and Michael goes into detail about the health industry in America versus in other places like France and even Cuba um, and Canada and how, you know, our medical industry has kind of barred us like as an herbalist uh, from doing a lot of things. Like I, you know, can't, there's no medical board that certifies herbalists like there is in like Europe and other places. And so a lot of the studies that are done on herbs are based actually in Germany, which happened uh, during the Nazi regime. Coincidentally enough, there was, there was a big focus on herbalism and herbal medicine and so, you know, the, the, it really has to be on the focus. And so sometimes you have to navigate through that. But the cocktail that we had today, the mocktail had lobelia in it and motherwort, which I mentioned before the show. But, you know, when you're talking about like antispasmodic 
if you've just done a workout, like I did a workout, I stretched a little bit, but I'm sitting, which is not good for me right now. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm going to be in and then I have to drive 40 minutes. Just I know, having, we usually try to do the, right? the podcast. Just first. having something that I know that'll make sure I'm not going to be, you know, tensing up too much in my mus- mm-hmm. you know, muscles. And then your endocrine system, especially as a woman supporting your hormones, your endocrine system as you're working out and doing all of that is really important. So easy ways. And then also, you know, the tea that um, hopefully you like, or maybe your wife likes, has some really interesting things in it that are good for focus and, you know, rebuilding. Um, but yeah, there's not as many studies done. So it is difficult for people to, you know, if you're a lot more science-based to, mm-hmm. you know, try those things. Well, I guess that's also one of the hard parts. And I, I guess I, I need to draw a little bit of a line of distinction between like an herbalist and the world I've lived in is like sports supplements, mm-hmm. which sports supplements is like Marketing. super <laughs> not regulated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know of so many fraudsters that have come through it. They're selling like just BS bunk supplements. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're all made in Utah because Utah has like no laws or regulations. I mean, mm-hmm. literally I could start my own supplement company and I could be putting, you know, arsenic in there and there's no regulating bodies can actually like right. oh look. we talked about that too on the show yeah, about supplements are really dangerous and, and so and this is where it also goes to is uh so with olympic weightlifting one of the weird little things people don't realize um i get randomly drug tested constantly mm. like and when i say random drug test i mean like three weeks ago i had a knock on my door on sunday evening at seven o'clock at night and it was a blood blood draw and urine test. And mm-hmm. when he knocks on your door, he you cannot leave his sight. And this is the far more invasive than any like pre-employment type drug screen sort of thing. Right. I mean, he has to watch the fluid leave my body and go into the cup. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, I usually t- I always joke with him because it's the same guy who comes down here. It's like you gotta buy me a drink next time. I mean, <laughs> I think you've seen me naked more than my wife has. <laughs> but. Uh, so I, so I'm and on that list on the, uh, on the water list of controlled substances, uh, caffeine is on the list. I can't mm-hmm. like the amount of caffeine. I have to keep my level down a lot. Like mm-hmm. here recently in the last couple of years, uh, both CBD and THC has been a big hotbed conversation mm-hmm. with the WADA international drug testing system, because as it becomes more and more legalized and you know, the market, the testing gets way, way better. So it can test, you know, things that were in your body a year ago. And, I am. They, and if they can find a trace sub, sub amount of it, they can disqualify you currently. Mm. Even though in your current competition, there might have been zero benefit of any kind whatsoever. But, you know, there's all kinds of cases of people like, you know, what they did a year or two ago showing back up on the screen. Mm. So I had to be like really and, – and, and herbal stuff, some different ones are in there, depending on what is in the extract, people have failed their test because, you know, one of the chemicals that you're only allowed to have X amount threshold limit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm like very, very nervous about putting anything in my body because it's really weird because although I'm not going to the Olympics, I will never go to the Olympics. Those guys are on a totally different level than where I'm at. Um, I'm good by master standards. Well, I'm, I'm very good by master standards, but not against like the 20 year olds, but I get scrutinized the exact same way our actual Olympians do. Mm-hmm. 
And because, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a father, I own a few businesses, you know, I'm on board of directors of, you know, a lot of local nonprofits. I don't want that headline because with those results, I find out the results of my drug tests by the public announcement that comes out from them. I don't even find out before the public does. So literally, if I failed a drug test, I would probably find out about it because it would be on the internet and posted, my name tagged in it, mm. before I get a notice from USADA or WADA about my test. Wow. Um, so it's, it's it's weird. It's uh, So I have to be very, very careful. And that's why, so the supplement world, I had to like just, no, I'm not taking anything because it happens cross-contamination because, you know, this company... They whipped up a vat of their, you know, muscle gainer 5,000 mega mix, <laughs> but it was the mix that was going to Brazil and Brazil does not have all the drug issues that mm. America does. So it's actually got Dynaball in it. And it's got like actual, some steroid, you know, stuff in it. Mm -hmm. And then that vat, once they pour all that out, they then whip up the American version of it, but there's enough residual left in the vat they mix it in that they get cross-contamination and mm -hmm. they'll show up as ultra trace amounts, but definitely of a steroid. Mm -hmm. and, if, and, and the way they regulate this um, is the exact opposite of our American court system. If they detect it in your system, you are guilty mm -hmm. and you must now try to prove your innocence. Mm -hmm. And you have 100% liability of everything you put into your body. So, just because it's not on the label of the supplement that you're taking, you show it to them. And then when we ran into this where you'll give them a bottle of, you know, pre-workouts are one of the easiest ones. Because a lot of pre-workouts um, for a long time had clenbuterol in it. Mm -hmm. Because clenbuterol is a fat burner. It burns fat. And it gives you a ton of energy. It makes you super jittery too. I mean, it's literally a stimulant. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's around the same line as meth almost. But, uh it's a banned substance in Olympic-based sports. So people would show up with just absolute finite trace amounts of it in their system, definitely not enough to ever give them a benefit. And they give uh, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency the bottle of their pre-workout. They would take it back to their lab. They would test it. They would find the trace amount. They would look on the label, like clearly it's not on the label, this is not an ingredient. Mm -hmm. So you never knew it was even in there. You're mm -hmm. just buying the same thing you've been buying down GNC, but we don't care. It's in your system, you're liable for that. Bam. So Yeah, I think it's it's really dangerous with supplements and things like that because we talked about it on the show before, but we had a guest on that had gut issues, and you see on Instagram, there's all these, you know, oh, de-bloating tablets, put it in your water, it's all natural, it's got beetroot extract, it's got this extract, and that extract, and it's all natural, but one of the things you have to realize is when they say extract, they're pulling a chemical component from that plant or herb, they're not pulling the entire herb, and so when it's not encased in its natural form, and you're just pulling that raw chemical component that can do such harm to your body mm -hmm. you know like teas and whole herbs and things like that are a lot different than mm -hmm. you know supplements and things so definitely be weary and it's a ton of marketing yeah with a lot of that stuff well that's like there's so many weird buzzwords too like mm -hmm. all natural what does that actually mm -hmm. mean you know even if it's organic yeah yeah you gotta watch out because uh so i have one more question it's we ask everyone at the very end just after everything, all of the, the roles that you've had in your life, all of the different sports and experiences you've had, 
uh, mental things you've gone through, what do you think kind of, what are some maybe like three pillars that kind of define like health and wellness for you now? What do you think you need to have in order to kind of have that kind of holistic goodness? Um, well, I would say, so I, I don't know how to put it in pillars, but uh, mental strength, mm-hmm. because you're going to go through struggles. You got to figure out how to keep yourself mentally balanced, not just go through the hard times, but also how to get through the good times and not let when those good times go away, that you then go into a dark place afterwards, mm-hmm. which happens very, very commonly with athletes, especially mm-hmm. um, health wise, your, your body has to work. Your health, your actual physical health is at the forefront because if you aren't physically healthy and you can't take care of yourself, you can't be helpful to anyone else. Preach. Mm. Good stuff. Shane, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I feel like we're really appreciative to kind of have a different perspective and to kind of hear about the things that all men probably go through that just they don't have the opportunity or feel comfortable talking about out loud and we appreciate that and all the skills that, uh, I don't know, that I've been able to see you kind of impart on other people. Um, and with that, we just wanted to know for our listeners, if they wanted to find you on social media, especially, you know, if they're searching for that gym as well, where can they find y'all? Uh, easy way to find me is, uh, so on Instagram, uh, Sevic. Uh, most importantly though, F45 men from South. Go look up his gym. Uh, it's launching. It's doing phenomenally well. I wish this was a video podcast because you could all see I challenged Danielle during this podcast to actually be beating me a little bit. Negative <laughs> reinforcement. Get the bull whip out. She has hit me at least seven times. I think she kind of liked it too. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. It's the secret side of me. <laughs> I will. Right, well, thank you so much. I think that about wraps up our time here. So we'll see you next time and have a great day, everyone.